0: Welcome to the One of a Kind podcast, the show where we explore the stories we tell ourselves and the moments that God is here. I'm Nisi Duran, and I hope today's conversation gives you something to smile about. To the 12th episode of the One of a Kind podcast. Once again, we are taking it back to college. Today's guest is Linda Camacho, who I met my freshman year at Cornell University. Linda is a native New Yorker who loves chocolate, travel, and far too much TV. She also loves books, and I'm so thankful that I can always get the very best book recommendations from her. She is currently a literary agent at Galt and Zachert Literary, where she represents a roster of writers and illustrators. Before that, she held various positions at Simon & Schuster, Writer's House, and Penguin Random House. She got her MFA in writing from the Vermont College of Fine Arts and also helps other writers as a creativity coach. In this conversation, we discuss how society often makes assumptions of who we are, the discomfort of being misunderstood, how our identity can change over time, and how our internal age doesn't seem to change much at all. Linda also educates us on the publishing industry. Our conversation begins with Linda sharing her college admission experience. She talks about how being waitlisted at Harvard and ultimately attending Cornell was probably good for her in the long run, given the, quote, arrogance she had at that age. She also shares that she decided not to attend Northwestern University after being invited to tour the school and experience student life. As part of that trip, she was taken to a college-stepping performance, and she felt very out of place and, quote, the wrong type of Puerto Rican. As Linda shares our identity is always evolving. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Oh, I was really
1: arrogant. Like like I remember I did not get into Harvard. I got it I was waitlisted. And um my sister to this day says, "Thank God you didn't get into Harvard." Not that <laughs> look, I know Harvard people who can be super lovely, yes. but there is an element that if I personally had gone to a place like that or even a place like Dalton where there is that element, it wouldn't have been good for me. And in the way I would the, the person I for me and the person I would have become I would have become more arrogant and my sister was very anti-establishment and extreme wealth makes her uncomfortable I don't think we would be very close so I think it I'm glad I've had privileges but I I've been kept grounded because even Cornell they make fun of constantly as All not a true Ivy <laughs> and I <laughs> love that <laughs> I <kind of laughs> do love that. I'm like thank you you keep me grounded so <laughs> <laughs> the fake Ivy, the barely Ivy. Oh, every time I come up with another Ivy leaguer. So I'm like, this is good because if I'd gone to certain ones, that would have been the height of my life. And I would still be thinking about, look at the time I went to Yale, Harvard, uh, Princeton, whatever. Yeah. I would have been that person hundred percent. I know myself. I love your sister too. <laughs> she yeah. knows
0: you too. <laughs> she knows me. She knows me so well. Yeah. <laughs> One final question about the, the step, and then I'll tell you some stories. Um, why do you think it made you feel, because people can't see you, right? It's a podcast. But when you were telling the story, you put your hands, you put your head down, your hands on your <laughs> forehead, and you were looking down, like you were you were kind of communicating like frustration or like shock that they would even think that would be anywhere that you'd want to be. Um, mm-hmm. What were you feeling and why do you think you were feeling that?
1: Because I, at the time, did not want to be seen as Puerto Rican. Oh. And to me, it was embarrassing. I was afraid of being perceived as the wrong kind of Latina. In my brain, I had that dichotomy.
0: And what's so the wrong I, kind of Latina?
1: The wrong kind is the one who has the stereotypical accent. They have a certain look in the Bronx, right? The hair slicked back a certain way. It's like, the East Coast version, I guess, of a chola. It's like our version of oh, it, right? Oh, okay. Um, it's just a look. It's a whole look. The, and I wear big earrings, but like the chunky earrings. Um, having kids. Um, just not educated. So I, and I, I've been around people who've said to me, oh, you're not like really Puerto Rican. And I used to be flattered by that before I knew better. So yeah, I was always just, I didn't know what that was, that stuff thing. I was like, why are you assuming we're all one thing? And that did frustrate me too. That even if I didn't have that that false superiority complex, that why do you assume we all like this thing? Yeah, that really frustrated me.
0: I feel like maybe we did talk about this even when we were in college, because um, maybe that's one of the reasons why I connected. So I went to this COSEP program. We've mentioned a couple of times. It's a summer program for, I think it's just minority students. And Mm -hmm. Cornell will pay for your housing and for you to take classes. And they did all these additional programs to try to get us acclimated. And I remember vividly, we were in an auditorium, actually, where the Aggie school is. And they had this alumni come. He was a black man. And he was giving a motivational speech around... Why we belong there, and it was so well intentioned, Linda. It was so well intentioned. But yeah. he said something along the lines of, "Just because you're a minority doesn't mean you don't belong here." And i I had this moment of like, I've never thought that. I didn't mm-hmm. think that I didn't belong here. Like, I know I didn't go to private school. I know that you know, but I had really good grades. I passed a bunch of AP exams. Like, I I thought I belonged here. And it, but I I looked around to see if anybody else was. Mm-hmm. shocked and upset like me. And most people were nodding their heads. And, and so I think I had this moment of, oh, we're all having a different experience here. Right. But I got mad. I did not appreciate that. They made an assumption about where my head was at, right. Of, yeah. And then it put something in my head where I was like, oh, other people are going to think I don't belong here. Oh, maybe I don't belong here. Right. So I do, there wow. is something tricky, right. Of like where sometimes these institutions are trying to get us to feel they're trying to be more inclusive, but it comes right. across as they're making assumptions and thinking we're all the same. Mm-hmm. And I do remember being upset by that. So yeah. I understand how you felt. Yeah. yeah.
1: And and ready, even now, who doesn't make assumptions, right? But I, I remember totally. when I was moving into agenting and um, a, a Latina I was talking to, she's so lovely and sweet. She did say, well, don't worry. Because when you because I was concerned about money because I was going to make very little money. And I had to work at I had to do all these part-time things, restaurants, to just for maybe 12 bucks an hour, just to yeah. keep a roof over my head. But she did say, Don't worry, like you grew up just like, you know, we grew up poor. You know, kind of like <laughs> I was like, all right. Actually. <laughs> I was like, sure, okay, actually, sure. I've been in
0: Europe, girl. I've been in Europe so many times, you don't yeah. even know. But,
1: <laughs> yeah. So there is. And I didn't correct her because I was embarrassed. And I remember I was embarrassed. And I all because I didn't grow up poor and I just felt embarrassed for not having certain experiences that mm-hmm. why did I not grow up poor? Not that I wanted, but it, why was I so lucky, I guess, to not have to struggle for money. And even when I hustle now, I've never had to, I mean, I think about it, for sure. But it's never been like, i never had a safety net. Like I could always go home and I've never had that, that fear, that kind of fear. And yeah, that's what makes it really hard, I would say. And I've also been on the other side. I remember taking a, I wanted an EZA and I took my bio credit at a, a local college in the Bronx. I did not want to take Cornell's bio class. Okay. <laughs> I remember you did that. There were like two white girls. Everybody else was a person of color, but the two white girls, one was from Cornell and then the other one wasn't, but she grew up in like a fancy part of the Bronx. I didn't grow up in fancy. I wasn't like South, but I wasn't fancy, fancy, just like Riverdale and all that stuff. But she, they both assumed, I don't, and the reason I know this is because someone asked, oh, where are you from, Linda? And one of them spoke for me and said, oh, she's like from Riverdale, like me. I'm like, okay. And I was embarrassed too, because- they made the opposite assumption that I was like them, but I wasn't like them either. So it's a weird line to straddle, right? Where you feel embarrassed when you're privileged and embarrassed when you're not privileged. It is a very strange line.
0: Is there any environment where you feel like you've found your people where you're not embarrassed about not having one experience or the other? I feel better in publishing. I think when I moved into agenting, I
1: met more people of color because publishing, like many industries, not incredibly diverse, but I started to find people of color again, and we had similar backgrounds. And I think that was helpful. So I would say, publishing, I do feel more like myself. How does that change for you? I think the reason I feel more like myself is because I'm learning so much from my fellow people of color. Because I didn't even realize we, which is silly almost, but I didn't realize why there was such a disparity. Right in certain industries, that was in an MFA program. The instructor, he said, Oh, are you writing people of color? And I was like, No, that's not going to sell. Like, that doesn't oh. sell books. But it's funny because in publishing, they don't tell you that, but you got to pick it up in the water somehow, right? They don't say it outright. And that was a long time ago. Things have shifted, but I've learned a lot. I really feel less ignorant. And hopefully every day I, you know, get less so even now, but I've learned a lot and I'm much more, and I'm snobby in certain ways still, um, for sure. But I try to remind myself to not be that way and to understand everyone has their experience and one isn't better than the other, you know, but I really try to keep myself grounded. I really try hard and it's all around the people I'm with that that's really what it is. Sounds like your sister's a really great balance too. Like she she'll keep is, it real. She like she I, I wouldn't mind being wealthy. I would not say no to wealth. It <laughs> makes her uncomfortable. Okay. Like, okay. like I once visited someone's place which was beautiful and beautifully appointed and massive. And I described it to her with this sense of awe. And she was like, that would just make me uncomfortable.
0: Why because why she do knows you think that how, is?
1: Because she knows so many. And I feel that way to an extent, but not to her level there's so many people who have so little and just the distribution of wealth is very unsettling. And that that's it for me too. It's just like, why is it so extreme? If, even for me in terms of wealth, I'm not trying to have a jet here or five houses. It'd be nice to buy a property, right? And so many homeless people on the streets, like that should not exist. So it's just too unbalanced. And my sister really feels that and just, it makes her uncomfortable.
0: You mentioned that non-white characters don't sell is that still the case things have
1: been better so it's not so much the case these days they are looking for more diversity and so the question is with publishing that they're grappling with is how much diversity are we talking (laughs) right so I've definitely been on the receiving end of submission so when I submit for a client let's say the client is Puerto Rican like me I've I once did have an editor go, oh, like, we kind of have a story that's very similar, right? It's like, this, so we can't, and that's normal. But when I saw the announcement of that deal go out, it it just had Puerto Rican characters. The story was completely different, nothing to do. So it's like, yeah, you can have maybe two Puerto Rican stories and it doesn't do the checkmark, right? So it's getting them to accept that you can have more. You can even have five Puerto Rican stories or Mexican or all of the, you know, Asian stories. And they don't all have to be trauma porn, right? So they're getting past that too, where it's like, yeah, we can talk about that. But, right, if if someone is a Mexican-American, are they all going to talk about immigration? It can be part of their life and Um. it can be part of the conversation. But does it have to be about a child trying to cross a border? Those stories are important. Absolutely. And those stories exist, and they're always buying those stories. But I would like to see, and, and we've seen more of this, like a Mexican-American in outer space, right? Mexican-American fantasy. And identity is always wrapped up in it, but it doesn't have to be about trauma
0: and poverty and stuff. So they're, they're getting there. You've mentioned a couple of times being Puerto Rican, and I just you mentioned at the beginning what it used to mean to you in terms of how you defined it. How do you think about being Puerto Rican now compared yeah. to when you were choosing colleges and you said no to Northwestern? <laughs> right. I think it's been over 20
1: years since I've gone, sadly, to Puerto Rico. But oh, and my been family's been, oh, yeah, it's been they've been so wonderfully welcoming. But I know if I were to stay, you know, longer period of time, I would feel the difference there, too. You are that in between. My Spanish is so rusty. Um, I, remember, I definitely struggle with it but I did have an accent before I kind of shifted to fully English because Spanish was my first language. Oh, it was. I, yeah, I got lost on a beach when I was a toddler, Jones beach. And so I remember it was a white blonde lady who found me and apparently could not understand each other. So after that, my mom was like, you're just going to speak English from now on. So. Oh yeah. my goodness. How old were you, said? Like three, like about three. And I, my grandmother, can speak English, you know, with the heavy accent. So she was speaking Spanish. I would respond in English, which is very, you know, very typical. So I understand Spanish, but I would have to do a lot of relearning.
0: Do you think your mom would have made that switch later? Or do you think it really was sparked by the fact that you got lost? I don't know. It's a good question. I think, it, you know, I, she might have done it
1: later because she was always, she has, not a um a latin accent per se she has a new york accent it's just that coffee it's coffee it's just like oh, it's just cute i like certain it. <laughs> little things and i just don't think she loves her accent she would oh. like to be considered more of a neutral accent whatever that even means right um maybe that midwestern flat sound the news, news reporter have. yeah she was worried i would struggle i would have some sort of accent that would just make me look a certain way to people who would want to Eventually, employ me. she was worried about that.
0: she loved you. She wanted to try to protect you from what she perceived could be a danger to whatever your right. goals were, right? I was afraid of
1: that accent, too, because it just sign it's a signifier. Now it doesn't actually mean anything, but to me, at the time, it just meant someone is not educated, maybe ignorant, which is, you know, silly, but that's how I saw it.
0: No, I mean, I think um, I've heard that before, right? Mm -hmm. There's this perception of when someone has a heavy accent, people assume they're not as intelligent, which is kind of wild, right? It's like, oh, they've learned another language. Right. (laughs) They know at least one more language than you do. (laughs) Yes. yes. It's like, oh, it's like a weird, but it's a very common conclusion, right? Or assumption that's being made about folks. So I totally understand that. Um, I want to ask you about Cornell, but I also want to ask you because we've talked a little bit about identity and looks, right? You mentioned like the hoop earrings. Is that a nose ring that I see? Yes. Yeah. So you got got a nose ring, you got red hair. When'd you get the nose ring?
1: Like six years ago, someone made me (laughs) laugh and they were like, oh, that's very 2004 of you. I was like, oh, I guess (laughs) I wasn't trying to follow a trend. Okay. How'd you decide to do a nose ring? It was something I always kind of wanted to do, but I was such a wimp. And my sister's like, "Just do it already! Just like stop talking about it. Just go." So she literally was like, "Let's go!" We did it. I remember. It was What's like her a, name again? Your sister's name? Madeline. Madeline. I like her. I like yeah. Madeline. She's much more adventurous than I am. She's the one who gets me out of my own head. And she's four years younger. And yeah, she's she's much more with it than I am. So just do it already. Like, <laughs> yeah. She, and she took me, and we did it. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. She did it too. Oh, she has, she has a nose ring. She has the, I forget oh. the, I know what it's called, but I'm afraid she has several peers. Like she has pink hair. She's, she's an artist who is also trying to figure out like what she wants to do with her life, you know, beyond her current job. Like yeah. What is, what does she want to develop into? Yeah.
0: How did you feel when you got your nose ring?
1: Oh, I was excited. it, it, it hurt,
0: <laughs> but I really, I was glad to have it. I love it.
1: I really do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and have you been doing the red hair for a while or because I guess I haven't seen you we usually just talk on the phone <laughs> oh, that's true I did it when I around my because I turned 40 in January so I did it around that happy belated yeah
1: what else yeah. did you do for your 40th I don't remember honestly I didn't do anything major I think because we were still very much you know with the pandemic and yes. still being cautious with things Oh, actually, but my mom came over and she made me Puerto Rican food, which I adored. Like she made all of the good stuff. So what's that good was stuff? on? It was rice and beans, tostones, love mm-hmm. tostones, um, all of that. It was so good. <laughs> so, Do you know how to make it? <laughs> no, that's my thing. I want to get more connected. And she's been showing me recently. So now I actually have to just bite the bullet and not be a wimp and just do it. Yeah. But I, I did learn that recently. I've never made them. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to do it though. <laughs> How do you feel about being forty? I was thinking I was gonna hate it, but I don't know why. I mean, it, it just—I still feel middle-aged. I felt middle-aged, and not a bad way. I've—I I never was young. I don't ever feel like I was my. Even when I was in my 20s, I used to hang out with older people who thought I was their age. So, <laughs> and then they would be like, wait, you're 22? What? How old do they think you were? They honestly thought I was in my like mid-30s. I'm not even kidding. Because they have said it. They're like, really? Okay. I don't know if that's a good thing. But you know. It means you're mature.
0: mature. Yeah, just means yeah, you're mature.
1: I, like I was raised with older people. So I never... <laughs> You know, never had that young, which I would like. Sometimes I think about (laughs) that youthful naivete. I wish I had that. Not that I knew everything. I did not know squat, even in my 20s. But I was a bit too mature, I feel, and certain. Just wanted to be young and not think about things so much.
0: Now you got your nose ring. Well, there you go. See, now I'm young. (laughs) I guess it was very 2004. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, can I ask you? So what is your internal age, you think? I think I've always yeah. been twenty-eight. I think that's mm. like my. I think I'm always going to feel twenty-eight. Like when yeah. I was nineteen, I felt twenty-eight, yeah. and now yeah. I feel twenty-eight.
1: <laughs> I think maybe around thirty-five. Okay, that's a good age for me, and I yeah. think I've just been stuck there anyway. And yeah, I've <laughs> I've been there for so long that I'm like, oh, okay, can you were
0: sixteen.
1: <laughs> Since I was sixteen, definitely felt much older. Oh, 35, at least 35 is a good and 40 has been great so far. I feel I was reminding myself because I I'm never embarrassed about saying my age when there's so many women who are. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's a privilege to get old. Not everybody. I have a cousin who passed away during the pandemic when he was 39. Yeah, He didn't make it to 40. So I think if you can go beyond
0: that, why not? Yeah. I hundred percent agree. I grew up in an environment where we lost young people all the time, right? And yeah. I thought that was normal, to be honest. Like there was a a friend who I remember it was like, right, before Thanksgiving. He was driving home from work. He was in high school, and he raced another kid, like in the streets and he crashed into a tree, right? And another friend so of mine sad. like drowned, right? Um, and again, I thought that was also normal. And then in talking with more people, It's not like that. I knew so many people that passed away really young. So I've always felt that way. I've always thought a lot about death and Mm -hmm. I've also always been very grateful of, and every single year is a blessing. And what did I say? Like, if if we're lucky, we get older. Right. So I totally agree. Doesn't mean I like my wrinkles though, but you know, (laughs) I know I've definitely
1: had some. like, Oh my gosh, I do have gray hair. Oh my gosh. All those little things.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about Cornell. I was just wondering how you experienced yeah. Cornell, right? Because it was close to home, but it was also away from home and just right. wondering what your thoughts yeah. were about that. And then you left early as well. Like you did it on your yeah. own.
1: Yeah. I think I, I would have taken more advantage of things while I was there. I, I, I did little things. I remember we were also in the same honor society and yes, that's there are right. certain things. I remember when you were inducted or something and
0: all those random things. Yeah. Do they um, do weird things to me. I can't remember. <laughs> no, I <know. laughs> yeah.
1: I, I just wish I had an, I, I didn't, I was definitely in my own head about many things and I was dealing, I mean, who wasn't dealing with something, but I, as someone who gets in their own head, I really wish I had just had more fun. And it wasn't that Cornell wasn't fun. I just wish I had sought it out a bit more. I am very good at self-isolating. And I always feel like since I was a kid, I was trained. It felt like a training where you're going to get straight A's, you're going to go to an Ivy League, you're going to get a great job. Which so that's why I'm kind of surprised I didn't do money, money, because for the longest time I was just about the money. And somehow I I don't know why I snapped out of that. But yeah. I wish I could have studied abroad or something. So I, and I didn't, I think I was just like, I just need, I'm done with school. I need to leave now. Um, and that's why when Ma- my sister Maddie went to school and she went to Amherst college, it was another great school. And I was like, you should do study abroad. So because of that. Oh. And, and I remember when she was calling me on the phone and my mom was there and she was like, how long should I, cause she had to fill out the application. Like should I put it for a semester or a year? And I'm like, go for a year. My mom was like, oh my God, you know, but <laughs> she did. She went to Manchester for a year. So I'm glad she had certain experiences I didn't. And But it was all of our first experiences. No one in my family had gone away to college. I didn't know what to compare that to. So yeah, I just wish I would have had a little more fun, but that was me to get out of my own shell. Are you having more fun now? More? Not? No. <laughs> that would be a lot. I was going to say yes, but... <laughs> I feel like I'm so, that's a balance that I've been struggling with too now. New York, and I don't think it's exclusive to New York. Imagine San Diego and other, you know, big cities. It's work, work, work. Maybe you make yeah. time for people yeah. outside of that, but it's not a priority. And I just think that's so unhealthy, right? That I was reading, there was some study, I saw there was like a TED talk about the number one killer Is loneliness. And that's what, I have to send you that link to it. because please do. They actually track, it's not because depression, all that stuff, but they actually have tied it to the science of your physical well-being. Um, That you will physically die of something, but it all comes to loneliness. And we're not connected to each other. So I've been trying to figure out, how do I do that? I don't know, for me, it was feeling like leaving New York. Though You always take your problems with you. But it's like, how do you find a place where people feel like a community and it's not just work, work until you die because that's not healthy either. So I would like to have more fun. I'm trying to figure out how to do that, but it's really hard, especially because in my particular industry, it's very feast or famine. I think anything with entertainment industry kind of is. So yes, I need to figure out, okay, how am I gonna keep making my modest amount of money, but then how do I not make it all about work? And that is really hard. It's tough.
0: I agree. And I, I think there are two schools of thought and they're both correct, right? Like what you just said of, what did you say? You bring your problems with you. I agree. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of it is work that we need to do internally, but as someone who moved from the Bay area to San Diego, I do think your environment can influence you if you allow yeah. it to, right? We have a different group of friends here. I love my friends in the Bay area. I still talk to them all the time. I visit them every couple of months because I love them. Um, So no, you know, not talking smack or anything, but it's just in the Bay area because of how expensive it is as well. And the achievement culture. We talk a lot about work when we're together, one of our Bay area friends and people are all very high achievers. Now we move to San Diego and people care about obviously supporting their family, but they care about other things as well. And so the things that we talk about how we spend our time, how we get together is different. Mm-hmm. And so if you are open to letting your environment influence you, I agree with you that it can have an impact. Um, and then there's still work that we need to do within ourselves, right? To yeah. to allow ourselves to change if we want to. Um, I want you to have more fun. Yeah, I want you to have I more like fun. I'd like that too. My actual last question, do you have any book recommendations for people that don't read a lot? Ooh, and I know everybody has a different yeah. unique taste, but if there's something yeah. that you think is digestible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, One person I read recently, and it's like a cozy fantasy, it's adult. It's called TJ Klune's House of the Cerulean Sea. And it's a queer love story. It, it's just, if you want a story that makes you feel like you have like a nice hot chocolate and a warm hug, it has that. Like, it's about this, like, kind of like in a, in this other world, like an insurance kind of claims adjuster who has to investigate. Um, He like works um, within like this world of like orphanages and stuff, but he deals with magical orphanages. And he is tasked to investigate this magical orphanage because they're saying, you know, we're not sure what that headmaster is doing over there. So he has to go and write up reports. And he's very type A. He's 40 years old. He's like, middle-aged and just like really good at his job and he winds up falling for the head over there and the whole family it's like becomes like a beautiful family story i recommend it i recommend it. you want a feel good story you should say the name that. one more time the house of the cerulean sea i'm gonna look this up <laughs> by tj clone it is so sweet you'll see what i mean it's such a um, sweet story
0: yeah it's so heartwarming and yeah i feel like you need to write book reviews I know. You like said, <laughs> what did you say? You're like, if you want a hug and a hot chocolate, I was like, yeah. I do. Yeah. I want to read it right now. <laughs> yeah. Like... like, and it's a best selling book. Like, if you see yeah. the Barnes
1: Noble has like a special edition, it's yeah. like beautiful colored pages. Aww. It's really good. Like,
0: yeah, I would recommend it. I just it. finished a book on the flight home from Europe. So I need oh, to find nice. a new one. So,
1: yeah, it is so warm. And let me know what you think. It's so warm yeah, and cozy. Read it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I of appreciate course, you. Yeah. Maybe yeah, next Monday. time when I see you, you'll have like, Pink yeah.
1: hair. <laughs> I know. See, there you go. And one day I'll get out to San Diego. Again, it's been on my bucket list, so
0: I have Girl, to check it out. You
1: have been talking about San Diego before I, I moved know. here. Yes, <laughs> remember? I've been oh man, I've been wanting to. So now I'll just like have to visit and see how beautiful it is. Because I hear it's beautiful.
0: So. You really should. Thank you for listening to the One of a Kind podcast. This show is edited by my brother from the very same mother, Jose Duran. We have more episodes on the way, so please check us out wherever you get your podcasts.